Part 10, enjoy parenting. That's right. I thought I'd hear some moans. Ushers, lock the doors. Don't let anybody out. So, the Bible actually says that children are a gift and that they should be a joy to their parents. I don't know if you got that in the memo whenever they were born or not. They're supposed to be a joy. So I have three ways to enjoy your kids. Ready? Number one is Jim Beam. Number two is Ritalin. And number three is a belt. I didn't say who the Ritalin's for. And I, I will tell you who the belt's for, though. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I was, I was here, I heard about this, um, this, this kindergarten class, the teacher was going to teach the kids about magnets. And so she told the whole class that today we're going to talk about something that picks things up and it starts with the letter M and everybody said, moms, moms. that's right. Okay, good. Um, okay. Some quick advice before we go into the sermon. Uh, first thing is this, never give a mother advice. Never give a parent advice. Nobody wants your advice on parenting. They don't care what you do with your kids. They don't care how you raised them. Um, if you want to make enemies of somebody, then just go to a parent and tell them how they should raise their kids. They will hate you for the rest of your life. Do not brag on your children in front of someone else who is struggling with their child in the same way, in the same area. If, if someone's struggling to make their kids eat vegetables and you say, oh, little Johnny, he just loves his vegetables with me. You know, we just give them these special... Well, they're going to think little Johnny's on drugs or something like that. So if their child's struggling in school and not being obedient, not paying attention, and you say, well, little Susie, she just pays attention so well. She's just so quiet and calm. They're going to think little Susie's on drugs as well. So you can't do stuff like that with parents. It is a very, very, very difficult subject. Because no matter how many books a parent reads, no matter how much they love their child, they know they're going to fail many, many, many times. They know that they're going to have pain in their heart. They know that they're going to suffer, suffer. Every year of being a parent gets tougher and tougher and tougher, it seems like, especially in the world that we live in. I have five children, five. Now, uh, my first son, Logan, I'll show you a picture of him. Logan actually preached his first on um, me. He gave his first Bible, Bible lesson at a church in Conway, a uh, Baptist church a few months ago. Um, but Logan was my firstborn. He's 23. He and his wife have their uh, first child. And so um, I'm so good at being a dad, I am now a granddad. That's right. And some of y'all are being good at granddads. You are now a great-granddad. Anyway, and so Logan is one of those kids where he was just so quiet. He got along with anybody. Everybody loved him. He was so well-behaved. If God only gave me Logan... I could travel around the world and preach parenting seminars and tell people how easy it is and how enjoyable it is. And if you're here today and you have one child like that, do not have any more children. Stop. Because God Almighty will balance out your life like you have no idea. <laughs> no idea. God gave me four other amazing children. Um, they all serve in the local church. My son Zach, who's graduating from high school, serves in our media booth. Um, Eli serves in our drums and um, in other churches as well. Asher and Sale, of course, y'all know little ones. Um, but they're all great. They're serving. And I'll tell you, the reason they're all serving in the local church has nothing to do with me. And it has nothing to do with their mom. And I'm going to give you the secret on how to be a successful parent. And I'm not going to give it to you, though, for the last two minutes of the sermon. I'm going to make you wait that long. Um, parenting is a very, very, very difficult subject. Like I said, you never know what you're going to get. You never know how you're going to be able to handle things and deal with things. I will say this. If you want to give another parent advice, then here's what you need to do first of all. You need to be spiritually mature enough and love Jesus enough 
to where you can walk from your bedroom to your child's bed in the middle of the night in the dark with Legos on the ground and not use profanity. If you can do that, then you are a great parent. If you can make it from your bed to your child's bed on top of Legos without cussing, then you are a spiritually mature parent. It says in Ecclesiastes 6, verse 3, um, where's my notes at? Oh, here they are, right here. <laughs> it says in Ecclesiastes 6, 3, you may live a long life and have a hundred children, but if you do not enjoy them, you're better off dead. Okay, tell me something, okay? I've studied the whole Bible backwards and forwards. Tell me in the Bible where it says how to enjoy a child that is completely rebellious. Where does it say in the Bible how to enjoy a child that you're raising that's not even your child? You're the grandparent or a step-parent. Show me in the Bible where it says how to enjoy a child that's doing drugs at the very school you send them to to learn. Your middle schoolers are being asked to do drugs on a daily basis in school, just in case you didn't know, and they're being asked to have sex in school at middle school. If you're not aware of that, your head's in the sand. How do you enjoy parenting something like that? How do you enjoy parenting a mentally handicapped child that can't even go in public? How do you enjoy parenting a child that spits in your face and leaves the house when you say something they don't like? How do you enjoy parenting a child like that? I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to teach you how. It takes a lot of faith, definitely. Um, here's, let me say this, too, uh, before I get into it. Um, I have dealt with things in my children's life, such as um, having to send them away to live with one of their grandparents for a time. I've had to deal with that. I've had to deal with um, having to take one of my kids to a prison to try to scare uh, the world out of them and, and, and had them listen to other kids who were in jail for 20, 30 years for things that started with not obeying their teachers and not listening to authority. So I've had to deal with all of that, all of that. And thank God all my kids right now are serving in the local church, serving God, and I hope it stays that way. But I've dealt with everything you can imagine. Do not think, because I'm a pastor, I've not dealt with the worst, most possible things that have to do with parenting, because I have. So here's what I need to do for you today. Um, there are six points on today's sermon. The first three points are pre-parenting pre points. The last three points are post-parenting points, okay? So the first three points I'm going to give you, you have to have these and know these before you become a parent, or you will never feel like a successful parent. And then I'm going to give you three points for parenting after your children are born. And for instance, this isn't one of them, but for instance, if you're married and you do not get along with your spouse and there's strife in your home and you just can't seem to serve God together, do not think that having a child will help your marriage. If you think, you know what, we don't get along, we don't go to church together, we don't serve, but let's have a child. Maybe that'll bring us closer together. Try going off of no sleep for two weeks, not being able to make yourself dinner, not being able to take a shower or a bath whenever you want to, Try to get along with your spouse after that and then see if you should have a child and bring another person into the world. It is very, very difficult having a successful marriage and parenting children, okay? So these three points you have to, have to, have to know before you become a parent. Point number one, are you ready? Say, like, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Okay, number one is this. Dysfunctional families can still fulfill their destiny. You have to understand that a dysfunctional family is biblical. 95% of every family in the Bible was Jerry Springer dysfunctional. If you've ever watched Jerry Springer, those people are straight out of the Bible. Straight out of the Bible. They are our heroes of faith. 
Just because there's awful, evil, crazy things you can't even imagine that are happening in your home does not mean you cannot fulfill your destiny. Uh, let me give you some examples. Uh, King David, a man after God's own heart, his son raped his daughter. And, and David committed adultery and murder, but God was more upset that he did not discipline his children than God was with the adultery and murder. More upset. Read your Bible. Um, Abraham, the father of our faith, kicked out his firstborn son at the age of 14 years old for no reason at all. His son did nothing wrong. He kicked him out of the house, told him to live in the desert only to please his wife. Did nothing wrong. Um, oh, how about this? Jacob's children, they got together and decided to sell their younger sibling into slavery. And they told the parents that an animal killed him. Now, I don't know if you all have sibling rivalry in your house. I tried to sell my sister one time, but they gave her right back to me. They're like, no, take her. She talks too much. <laughs> oh, at one of Adam, listen, Adam and Eve, one of their children murdered the other child. Dysfunctional families are all through the Bible. So do not think that if your family starts going down the wrong end and things happen the wrong, that you shouldn't come to church and you shouldn't serve God. That is normal. We put the funk in dysfunction. It's just part of life. Number two, you're going to fail hundreds of times. You have to know before you become a parent, you have to know before you start getting parenting books and seeking parental advice. And if I do, I take my children to Christian school, private school, homeschool, public school. Do I give them formula? Do I breastfeed? Do I, do I spank them with a belt? Do I spank them with a spoon? What do I do? Before all these other things, you need to realize no matter what you do, you're going to fail. No matter how hard you try. Um, I was going through something with one of my kids in 2009. And I went to an elderly Christian woman who I respected very much for prayer. And she said something to me I'll never forget. She said this, if I had to raise my kids all over again, I would make different mistakes. In other words, if I could go back in time after knowing what I know now and re-raise them, I'd still make mistakes. Then I could learn from that and go back in time and re-raise them, I'd make different mistakes. And then go back in time, on and on the circle goes. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you come to church, no matter how much you study, you will fail hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. The reason this point is very, very important is because the only human relationships in which the devil deceives us into believing that we are a failure because of someone else's choices is in the area of parenting. Think about it. It's, it's, it's very unusual. If, I, if, if you're in here and if you refuse to tithe, even though I've preached on it and I'm a good pastor, I don't feel like a failure when you don't tithe. That's your problem. I taught you and you can decide whether you want to do it or not. I teach you on worship and praise. If you don't lift your hands, if you don't clap, if you don't sing to God, I'm not a failure. It's your problem. That's your life. So the funny thing is when we have kids, we think that if they do bad in school, we're a failure. And then we're so arrogant to think if they do good in school, we're a success. They're not a, listen, it's all their choices and it's all if God is in their life or not. You cannot take responsibility for the choice your children make. In fact, you could raise, you could have two parents raising two kids. One does successful things, one does unsuccessful things, and you feel like you're a failure. Same two people raise the same two kids. So point number three is this. Each person is responsible for his or her own life. You have to have, this is the biggest point for any parent to ever understand. No, your, your children, they have the choice. If they don't obey their teachers in school, um, that's their choice. 
If they decide they're not going to do work at school, if they get in fights, if they, whatever the case is, and yes, there are choices that we make that can help them and see it through. But you have to understand, ultimately, they have their own choice. You cannot feel like a failure if your children, let me, let me prove it to you like this. Um, David, in the Bible, was the most successful king to ever reign over Israel, but his parents totally rejected him, completely rejected him. Um, Rahab, on Mother's Day, she did not get an award. She was a prostitute. But her son became a very rich, successful Christian businessman named Boaz, who was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Um, oh, this is a great one. This is a great one. So Moses, his mom gave him away when he was a baby. Yes, to try to save his life, but she gave him away. Out of every home in the entire world, the worst possible home for a human being to live in that day on earth was the very home that Moses was raised in. There was not a more evil, ungodly home on planet earth than the home Moses was raised in. They had slaves. They worshiped false gods. They were the most ungodly, evil family in existence. And Moses was raised by them, yet the Bible says when he became a man, he grew up and left that house and served God. He became one of the greatest biblical leaders of the, day, of, of the whole Bible. Yet he was raised in an evil home. Let me keep proving this point to you a little bit further. Um, how many of you in here, well, let me say this. I would think that most of y'all in here are pretty successful in, in some areas. Okay, you, you, you made it to church, so you love God. Um, you, you, got, you have transportation. Um, none of you don't have a roof over your head. You, we obviously all have food in our bellies. And so, everyone, we're, we're pretty good, right? Okay, so here's my question. How many of you in here had absolutely perfect I mean, your parents gave you just the right affirmation, just the right discipline. They taught you all about God's word. They brought you. How many of you had perfect parents? Raise your hand. None of you? <laughs> Linda and my kids? <laughs> and yet y'all turned out okay. How many of you, and you know, don't raise your hands on this, but how many people do you know had horrible families growing up? I mean, horrible. And they turned out to be pretty successful. So, if a horrible family, if quote-unquote bad parents can have very godly successful children, and if very godly successful parents can have very ungodly and unsuccessful children, then what's the point in learning how to parent? Why even read what the Bible says? Why not finish the sermon right now if I've already proven to you that no matter what you do, you're going to fail. And no matter what you do, your children have a choice. Then what's the point of even hearing what God has to say on parenting? Here's the answer. Our job, just like every area of our life, is to obey God. His job is to deal with the people in our life. We parent God's way because we love God. And we trust God. And we want to obey. We are responsible for obeying God. He's responsible for assisting in the outcome. It's like the law of sowing and reaping that I taught you about last season at the beginning of the year. If I plant an orange seed, what kind of tree do I get? Orange tree. Did I tell the sun to shine on that seed? Did I tell the rain when to fall on that ground? No. Here's what I did. I obeyed God and planted the seed. And you know what God did? He caused the sun to shine and the rain to fall. God, did I tell the seed to open up and sprout and begin growing roots? No, God designed it that way. But it would never happen if I hadn't obeyed God. So I obey God, and he's, his, his job is the outcome of the seed. Everybody understand that? 
Okay, good. So now I'm going to get into the three biblical points on parenting. Okay? Now, I'm going to say this, and I say it a little bit loosely, but I'm, I'm serious as well. You can throw away every single book you've ever read on parenting after today's sermon. Every book. Because there's only one book, at least the main book in our life, that we should always focus on on parenting, and that's the Bible. So don't read a book that contradicts anything God's Word says on parenting. And here's another problem with all these books on parenting. is it, it, uh, To me now, maybe not you, but to me, I feel more like a failure the more I read those books. I tried this and it didn't work. I tried that and it didn't work. And I tried this and this did work, but then it didn't work for this child. And then this child comes along and it's something different. On and on it goes. So I believe there are three biblical points that we could take every single child we have, every air painting, and I believe we can trace it all back to these three points. Are you ready? Say, oh yeah. Okay, number one is this. Train. You train your children. You teach teenagers and you trust adults. You train. You train, you train, you train. Um, you don't trust teenagers, okay? I, I've had a parent say, well, I trust my teenager. You're an idiot because when you were a teenager, you weren't trustable. You weren't trustworthy. You train children. In other words, you tell a child, here's the friends you choose and here's the friends you don't choose. When they're teenagers, you teach them. Now tell me, what, what is your criteria for choosing friends? You teach a teenager, here's why we choose these friends, here's why we stay away from these. You train a child, you teach a teenager, and you trust adults. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child on the way he should go. When he's old, he won't forget. Here's the, watch, here's sowing and reaping. You train a child up in God's way, with God's statutes, then when they get older, God will make sure they don't forget. Have you heard somebody say, I was forced to go to church when I was younger, and I don't go to church anymore because of that. That's a crock. 1% of people say that, and those people always end up back at church. 99% of everyone that was brought to a Bible-based church growing up always ends up back at church at some point in their life. I have a friend who's, um, who's in heaven now. We played soccer together as teenagers. And um, he, uh, he, his, his parents brought him to church three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. All grown up from 0 to 18. He and his siblings and the parents, they were in charge of cleaning the church every weekend no matter what was going on. When my friend turned 18, he left. He went after uh, uh, money, uh, girls, and fast cars. That was his life, and he was good at what he did. When he turned 30 years old, he got cancer. It got so bad, the doctors told him, you have a few days left to live. And so they put him in a hospital room, put him in a hospital bed, got him you know, situated, uh, made him as comfortable as they could. Do you know what his last wish was? His last wish was that his parents read the Bible to him until the minute that he passes away. Do you know who he cried out to on his deathbed? Not his mom and dad. Not his friends. Not his girlfriend. You know who he cried out to? He cried out to God. You know why? Because he was trained up in a house that served Jesus. Amen. Who do you want your kids to cry out to on their deathbed? Not some person that's not going to be able to fulfill all their needs. Do you want to see your children in heaven with you? Then train them up. Train them up. Train them up. Um, our children, they have to get the morality from the Bible. The Bible has to be their final authority. You cannot be the basis of what's right and wrong for your children or they'll turn out just like you. Our family has to know all of us get our morality from the Bible. All of us learn right or wrong from God's Word. When Daddy fails, Daddy repents. It's not what Daddy says, it's what God says. 
You can't expect your children to worship if they don't see you worship. You can't expect your children to tithe if they don't see you tithe. Here's what God's Word says. We train up our whole family this way. Mommy, Daddy, all the kids. If they get the morality from the government, well, just do what's right or wrong based on the law. The government says there's some things that are right that God's Word says is not right. So we don't get our right or wrong from the government. We don't get right or wrong from Mom and Dad. We get right or wrong from God's Word. We have to teach our teenagers biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. Because if not, they'll get it from the world and the world is all whacked up in that area. They're all messed up. The last words David ever spoke to his son Solomon on his deathbed was, be a man and serve God. It's the last words out of his mouth before he died. Be a man, serve God. If we don't teach our boys what it means to be a man and be masculine, and if we don't teach our girls what it means to be feminine, then the world's going to thwart that in their mind. They're going to be all messed up. We have to learn that from our parents. We have to train up our kids. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Oh, wait, don't show it to them. No, no, go back, go back, go back. Take it off the screen. Take it off the screen. Okay. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you all to end the phrase. I'm going to say the first part, and you all say the second part of the phrase, okay? You ready? Real loud. Spoil the rod. Crap, I said it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> Spare the rod. <laughs> Oh, my dyslexia kicked in. Okay, so. Okay, that phrase is of the devil. That is not in the Bible. That is the opposite of the Bible. The devil wrote that phrase. We like to spoil our kids. We enjoy spoiling our kids. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24, when you spare the rod, you hate your child. You hate your child. Um... Spanking is in the Bible. Now, in our house, we used spatulas. We used wooden spoons. In fact, one time I used a plastic golf club, one of the kids' plastic golf clubs. And today, the kids laugh and they, Daddy, remember that time you spanked me and it broke in half? I was like, yeah, I remember that that time. Okay. Let me tell you about spanking. You never spank to leave a mark. It's not abuse. It's discipline. So don't leave a mark. Um, you never spank in anger or out of emotions. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. And you never spank in front of anyone else. You never correct your child in front of his or her friends or any other. You don't do it. Shame is not a part of God's discipline. God does not shame you when you do wrong. We shame ourselves. He does not use shame to correct us. Shaming never causes anyone to change. There are adults that still cannot receive correction properly because they were shamed when they were children. You never spank that shames, you never spank to leave a mark, and you never spank in anger. You know, when it comes to teenagers, we don't, don't ever tell a teenager, um, just be yourself, you're beautiful like you are. Don't ever say that. We're not beautiful like we are. We're beautiful like Jesus wants us to be. We should not be ourselves. we should be like Jesus. When you tell an adult, just be yourself, as adults we understand that means do what God wants me to do. Don't let people talk me out of what God wants me to do. When you tell a child, oh, you're perfect like you are, you're beautiful like you are, if they dress like a slut, they're going to keep dressing like a slut. Oh, I'm not, no one's going to change me. If it's a guy and he's, he's doing the wrong thing, well, you can't change me. I'm just going to be myself and I'm just lazy in this area. No, you're not being like Jesus. It shouldn't be be yourself. It should be be like Jesus. Is this sermon good at all or not? <laughs> Y'all are like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm trying to get you to feel encouraged, not, not, not anything else. Okay, so let me tell you another thing about spanking too. 
Um, there are books against spanking, but we don't, we're not talking about those books. We're talking about the Bible. Everybody understand the difference in other books and the Bible. These one parents, man, they were so snotty before they had kids. Uh, they, we were at a restaurant with them, and one of my kids did something wrong, and so I said, excuse me. And so I took my child out, and um, when I came back, you know, his face was red because I'd spanked him. And um, the couple said, um, what happened? I said, I had to spank one of my kids. And they said, oh, we're not going to spank our children. I said, what do you mean? They said, oh, we, we read books against spanking. We believe that a timeout is the best thing for children. I said, a timeout's not in the Bible, but spanking is. Aren't y'all Christians? Oh, yes, but we don't think we, we're going to need to spank. I saw them four years later at Target, and they had a three-year-old kid, and I promise you the dad had his kid's arm up in the air off the ground like this and was whacking him as hard as he could, and the kid's going around in a circle like this in front of everybody at Target, and I walked by him. And I was going to lie and tell you, oh, I didn't say anything. But you better believe I said something. I said, so you don't spank your children anymore, do you? Huh? I bet you change your mind when you have a kid. Um, disobedient children that don't get spanked, they will ruin a movie for everybody else in the theater. Children that don't get spanked will ruin a restaurant experience for everyone else there dining. Children who do not get spanked will ruin a church service for all the other adults trying to listen to the Word of God being taught. Children that don't get spanked are in charge of the household. And it is not a child's job to be in charge of the household. Ephesians 6, 4, take your children by the hand and lead them with Christian discipline and instruction. Take them by the hand. I heard an evangelist say that when he was growing up, he had a drug problem. He said his parents drug him to church, they drug him to youth group, and they drug him to... The class drug him to Sunday school, and he said this. He said, today those drugs are still in my veins, and they affect everything that I do. Amen. Several years ago, um, there was a, a reserve, a big game reserve in South Africa, and they discovered that the elephants were overpopulated there. And so they took 300 of the smallest elephants, the ones um, that they were just a few years old, they took them away from their parents and they sent them to a national park about 100 miles away. There was more resources at that park for the elephants. At this other national park, the, 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 the largest, um, the most dominant species was the white rhinoceros. The white rhinoceros is so powerful, nothing stalks it. Not a bear, not a lion, not a tiger, nothing. So they thought it'll be no big deal to incorporate these baby elephants all along here in this area. After a few months, they started finding dead white rhinos all through the brush. They couldn't understand it. They thought nothing's ever killed a rhino. What's going on? So they set up all these surveillance cameras. Much to their surprise, the baby elephants, the ones without their mother and father, had formed gangs and began killing the white rhino just for sport. They began doing something that was not even in their God-given nature to do. And our children, without being trained up in a house that serves God, they will do things that are not even in their God-given nature to do. We don't train up a child in the way they should go because we want to force them to turn out a certain way and they have to be. We train them up because God's Word says to train them up that way. Point number two, and the last two are very easy. Number two is affirm. Affirm, I don't care how old they are, you keep on affirming. I don't care how many mistakes they make, you keep on affirming. 
If you want to be a good affirmer, you affirm people and children in the area of their passion. If a child is doing a season of video games, just tell them how great, it's just a season, just affirm them in that. If you're going to let them play the video games, you might as well affirm them and tell them how great they are. If they're into skateboarding for a season, sports, music, whatever it is, you always affirm your children in the area of their greatest passion. You do that with anybody, you get a lot more weight for your words if you do it like that. Affirmation is not based on my child's performance. It's based on my heart. Um, affirmation is not based on my child's performance. It's based on my heart. If you did not receive the affirmation you should have gotten as a child, it had nothing to do with you. It had to do with the heart of your parents. They were just, they just there was something negative in their heart. So you affirm, affirm, affirm. I'll tell you this real quick um, before I close. Um, I was reading about the Korean War years ago. And um, I remember I read about this one General Dean. He got captured by the Koreans, and they were going to assassinate him the next day. And they told him, they said, um, we're going to give you a chance to write a letter to your wife and children before we kill you, and we promise to mail the letter after you're assassinated. And they kept their word. They let him write a letter. The next day they assassinated him, and they mailed the letter. I don't know what the letter said, but I thought about this. If you had one more chance, one last chance before you die to say something to your children, no matter how old or young they are. What would you say? And why not say it today? Why wait to the day that you die? Um, I, I can recommend this to parents, but one thing I did, I can't believe God put in my heart to do, but the, the day that my children were born, I started a diary for every one of them. And so every few months, I'll write in the diary, and then when they get married or have kids or whatever, I'll give it to them one day but it shares the areas God's grown me in it shares the areas God's grown them in it goes over things in their life they may have forgotten as a child and I just and every few months I'll write in it and just entry where they're at in life what they've learned what God's taught them how what the areas they're succeeding on and on it goes and I think it's a great thing we should do for all of our kids if you have the chance to do it number three this is the final two-minute point this is the only reason my children the only reason that they're serving God is because of prayer that's it. It is not called hope. It's not called wishful thinking. It's not called meditating. It is called prayer. It's not called talking to somebody about it. It's not called asking for help. It's not called reading godly books on prayer. It's called prayer. Prayer. Jesus gives us no instruction on how grandparents should raise their grandchildren whose parents aren't around. Jesus gives us no instruction on should you breastfeed or use formula. Jesus gives us no instruction on what age your children should start eating solid food. Jesus gives us no instruction on homeschool, public, public school, private school. Jesus gives us no instruction on which translation of the Bible to read to our kids. He gives us no instruction on if, what age they should have a cell phone, how long they should use the cell phone, what time they should go to bed, what the night-night routine should be like. Jesus gives us no instruction on that. The only thing we hear from Jesus on parenting is that he never refuses the prayer of a parent, ever. When Jairus, Jairus was a godly man, successful, he trained up his children the way they should go. He affirmed them properly. He paid all the bills. But nothing could prepare Jairus for the day that his little girl was died. Nothing could have prepared him for that day. Nothing, no, nothing, no prayer, no manual, no no, no lecture, 
from, from the famous uh, family first talker. None of these things could have prepared him. The only thing Jairus could do was to beg Jesus to come to his house. We have to beg Jesus to come to our house in prayer. We got to do it. The only reason my children, in fact, the only reason one of them's even alive is because of prayer. The only reason one of them's not in jail is because of prayer. I, there was one time I was going through something with one of my kids, and for nine months straight, I had a reminder in my phone. I prayed every morning, every night, and every Sunday morning at the altar. I can't believe we don't have more families that come down to the altar and pray. Your children must be little angels or something like that. I don't know. But if they're like my children, we need prayer. It says in Lamentations 2.19, During the night, pour out your heart in prayer to the Lord for your children. We cannot solve every problem, but we can bring every problem to Jesus. So the whole point of today's sermon is this. Stop focusing on raising godly children and start focusing on being a godly child of God. Because the more you grow in God, the more your children will grow in God. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this story in Scripture. Psalms 112.2 says, The seed of the righteous is mighty on the earth. This means if you stay in right standing with God, then He will make sure your children are mighty on the earth. Um, Billy Graham told in one of his books how he was given a, 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 one of his sermons at a huge baseball stadium, tens of thousands of people. It was raining that day, kind of like it is here. He didn't know if anybody was going to show up, but they did. It was packed. As he was preaching, he told how he began thinking, do I even give an altar call? I mean, it's muddy. The ground's wet. Is anybody going to come down to the altar? He gave his altar call, and much to his surprise, the people started pouring out of the stands, walking through the mud, walking on the wet grass, all the way up to the altar. Billy Graham noticed this guy coming out of the stands who was huge. I mean, he said he was 350 pounds, had to be seven feet tall, just a giant of a man. And Billy Graham was so touched that this very masculine man was willing to surrender his life to Jesus in front of all these people. As he saw this huge man out of the stands, he noticed his little boy, his child, was right next to him, walking down with him. Once the large man reached the field that was all wet and muddy, Billy Graham no longer saw the child. He thought, that's unusual. And he's waiting as people are coming down. He's kind of crossing a stage. And he looked much closer, and he saw the little boy was walking behind his very large father. Billy Graham thought, that's weird. He was walking next to him when they were coming down the stands. Now he's walking behind him. And when he looked closer, he noticed the little boy was doing his best to walk in the footsteps of his father until he finally reached the front of the altar. 